Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start And they never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network MJ after my sister, Marcia Joyce And this is a very special show Boyd Morrison is here, and he wrote Marauder with the late Clive Gussler, and we're going to talk about him, and we're going to talk about how they wrote it together, and we're going to dedicate this show to his memory. Clive died on on February 24th, 2020, and he would greatly miss. He was one of the greatest authors, and I had the honor of meeting him at the last Thriller Fest, and if God is really good and we get rid of this miserable virus, maybe next year we'll all be able to celebrate together. So good morning, and how are you? And welcome to MJ Network. I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Fran. Thank you. So I, I love Juan, by the way, and I read the first one, and then when your publicist just sent me this without telling me she was sending it, I was thrilled. So give all listeners <laughs> the history about yeah, – I, I, I sometimes I get lucky, and then things just show up, and I go, oh, it's about time. Okay. But the post office is not delivering very many books, so when I get book mail, I get excited. So give all listeners the history about the Oregon team and tell us more about one, because I love that guy. Yeah, the the uh, Oregon Files is um, a series of uh, one of one of Clive's five series of books of action adventure stories, and it's about a ship called the Oregon that on the outside looks like a um, decrepit old tramp steamer cargo ship that looks like it's about to sink. But on the inside, it's this fantastic um, high-tech warship that has all kinds of weaponry and, and cool gadgets, and, and it's used as a spy ship. And it's captained by a, uh, an ex-CIA agent named mm. Juan Cabrillo. And Juan has recruited a team of uh, former Navy SEALs, former CIA operatives, and other uh, specialists to crew the ship. And, and they go on um, missions that the, the U.S. cannot take on itself. And so they, they hire themselves out as operators that take on the most difficult missions um, to protect the U.S. and its interests around the world. That, that uh, that's amazing. When when I, you described the ship, I wanted to be on there. I don't like boats, but definitely would love all the luxuries that are on that boat. Seriously, that ship. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's a bit. I was like, well, look, trying to picture it in my mind. I go like, why isn't there a picture of the thing in the book? Like, oh, it's gorgeous. So what happened that you set this novel hoping to stop the attack in Kuwait? Yeah, so it starts with a the the Oregon this in this book it's a new version of the ship and they are on their uh they're about to start their shakedown cruise when they get word that 
terrorists are going to attack an oil tanker nearby. And so they set out to stop the attack. And um, the the organ, this new version of the organ, has all kinds of new new uh, features that help mm. them in stopping these terrorists. And and uh, once they do, they find out that one of their own crew members, who has been sent off on on a separate um, operation, has uh, come under a separate attack. And um, that when they go to investigate it, it it kind of blows up into a much larger scheme that they have to stop from happening. Yeah, it was scary, let me tell you. So why did the captain of the Jahar allow the enemy to take them over? You would have thought that they would have fought. They couldn't They couldn't stop them. That's really Well, the, you know, this is a problem, uh, ongoing problem around the world of, of piracy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of cargo ships are not equipped to battle with heavily armed terrorists. And so, um, like, like in the movie Captain Phillips, which is based on a true story, um, a lot of times, un- unless they can stop the, the pirates from getting onto the ship, there's really not much they can do to resist them because they're not, they're not trained as, as um, soldiers, so they can't really, and they have no weaponry, so they can't really resist. So the only option is to let the, the authorities come to their rescue. I guess, yeah. So there are two characters that play a very big role in this, and pretty smart for sort of. Tell us about April Jin and Angus Polk, and what they. Well, there's a reason why they did what they did. Why did Why did they agree to do this? Why were they asked to do this, and why? So April Jin and Angus Polk are married. April Jin is. They're both Australians. And April Jin is a former Navy um, officer, and uh, Angus Polk is a former um, police detective. And they have been in prison for um, some some heinous crimes that aren't explained until later in the book. And mm. um, when they get out, they are informed that April Jin's stepfather has recently died, and he was a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And has uh, left them a, a videotape where he explains that if they carry out a certain task for him, they will inherit $950 million. And so they take on this task so they can, you know, inherit all of his money. And it's it's a pretty um, awful operation that they have to undergo. But since they're they're already criminals, they're willing to do it. Well, for money, they would do anything. That's scary. I know. And this is the, yeah. what, and what would have happened if they did not decide to do it? So somehow there would have been a way to get all their money or something. They wouldn't have gotten anything. Right. They wouldn't have gotten the money. So, you know, they they really had no other prospects uh, for getting mm-hmm. that kind of money. So they decide that they'll do whatever it takes to inherit it. And all the money is... Um, is uh, kept in a in a uh, online cryptocurrency, so there's no way for them to unlock it unless they actually carry out his demands. And was there a time limit on it if they didn't do it within a certain time? Yeah, it had to be done by New Year's Eve. So and, this uh, is a, I'm that's for a very say specific this. reason. 
That's scary. So yeah. explain this. This is like I don't believe in crypto coins, but you know, bin coins, Croesus coin cryptocurrency. I said it right. Very good. That's my reading ability. My reading <laughs> master's ability. I'm a reading specialist. What is that exactly? Okay. So um, it's like Bitcoin, which is a, a cryptocurrency that can be used um, uh, anonymously. And um, it's kept online, and um, you can trade it to anybody around the world. And mm. so it's not kept in a bank. And so it's not, not um, beholden to um, international law the way that, that uh, traditional banking money that has to be transferred from bank to bank around the world can be done. And so this is a way for, for the, the, um, the dead villain to, uh, to transfer his money if they carry out his tasks. That's scary. So how did how, tell us how he managed to get the crew of the Dahar, and who are Linda, Link, Eric, and what are their roles? My like Max. So they're they're some of the crew members of the Oregon that Juan has recruited, um, and they they're separate operations that the crew is uh, undertaking in different parts of the of uh, Indonesia, and so. Uh, Juan only has some of his crew available to carry out this rescue mission of the Dahar um, before they're they're all killed or kidnapped. And so Eric, um, well, uh, uh, yeah, Eric, Linda, and um, Holly are all recruited to go on this uh, rescue mission with Juan. And Linda is uh, vice president of the corporation. The corporation is the organization that that uh, undertakes these missions that Juan is the chairman of, um, and they own the Oregon. Um, and then Eric is uh, the helmsman of the ship, and Holly is the communications officer. And so they're kind of pressed into this um, operation as because mm. they also undertake um, these 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 dangerous missions as well, but that's not normally what they do. So this is kind of an um, unusual situation for them. Well, the scene that scared me was really interesting. Is with Sylvia Chang. She's about to test yes. and prove where the plasma shield worked on an open ocean. What exactly that, and what happens that changes it and puts her in danger? It's like, oh my God, is she going to live through this thing? Right. So Sylvia is is um, a scientist working for the U.S. government, and she's testing a new defensive shield based on an actual um, uh, weapon or uh, an actual device that is used by the U.S. military. And um, it's called a plasma shield, where it sends out uh, microplasma bursts, and it can disable electronics or make people feel like they're getting heated up, so that it's they they can defend ships from being uh, attacked by pirates. And um, and when they're testing it, um, the test goes fine, but then all of a sudden the ship. Um, comes out of nowhere and um, attacks them with this chemical weapon that, that bursts over their ships 
and um, causes paralysis. And they also have another resin on this, um, what's called a trimaran, because it has three holes. And um, it has, has its own plasma weapon, but this one's a plasma cannon. And it's uh, also based on uh, a real device that mm. had been experimented on at Le- Lawrence Livermore Laboratory, and it was called Marauder, which is also the name of this trimaran. That's what I wanted and, to know, uh, yeah. Which is where the, where the book gets its title. And Marauder was, was an experiment into, pla- into a plasma weapon um, back in the 90s back in, at Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. And uh, after a successful test, the weapon was classified. And so we haven't heard anything since then about its development. And so I just kind of, you know, extrapolated from there mm-hmm. about what the state of technology 25 years later could be. And so in, in the book, they have um, created this plasma cannon that can fire this high-energy um, ball of plasma and um, destroy ships with it. And so this is what the Oregon is going to be up against in in the book. They're up against a lot. I was just praying for them that they would make it. I'm not going to tell anybody if they do, though. So who is MACD and what happens to him and why? Um, so uh, MACD is one of the um, the uh, shore operatives. They have a, a team of mm-hmm. uh, four or five people that go ashore to take on um, the the missions where they they do heists like in Mission Impossible, where they'll um, you know disguise themselves, take on different personas, um, and and conduct heists where they get people or or things back that that have been um, you know taken by the villains. And so Mac D is one of those operatives. He's uh, a former Army Ranger, and um, he uh, is is well known for carrying a crossbow um, mm. in a lot of the stories. So um, he that's that's kind of his silent weapon when he's he's on these missions. So he um, I don't know how much you want to get into later in the no, story. No, we don't want to tell people he, a lot of stories. No, yeah, he, he gets uh, into a uh, into a bit of a jam later in the story. I know, and I was very worried. But you never know what's going to happen in these books. Okay, yeah. the only thing you have well, to promise me is you keep... I made John La- John Lescar promise never to kill off Wyatt, and he didn't. So you can't kill off one. Nope, can't do that. No, Juan is yes, Juan is the leader. He's he's uh, in, in the off. previous book, final option. There is there is a very sad event at the end of the book, which um, precipitated the need for a new ship in this one. Um, I remember I that. I won't give it away. Um, but uh, but yeah, Juan Juan, uh, we we want to continue uh, going. Oh, this is good. I get very upset when people kill the people I like. So what happens? Sylvia yeah. goes on to the Oregon, right? She goes on to Oregon, but this I looked up something. Uh, the lethal gas they want to admit to millions of people is called Ernervum. It comes from Ernervus, 
which stands for feeble, nerveless, languid, powerless, and weak. How did you decide the discus, and how did you relate that to the novel? See, I looked that up. Well, um, so in in all of Clive's books, there's a historical element to the story. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I want to give it away in this book, but um, there is an ancient um, uh, event that leads um, to the creation of this gas. And the gas is based on Mm -hmm. um, the the poison in a jellyfish. Um, And and some of the most poisonous jellyfish Mm. in the world are are uh, come from the Australian region, and they can paralyze a a human in seconds, um, or kill them in seconds. And so and that's how jellyfish hunt is they they paralyze the fish and then bring them in, and and eat them. And so I I just thought well what if you could extract the poison from jellyfish and turn that into some kind of toxin that can be used as a chemical weapon. And, yeah. you know, in the past, gases in, in books like, adventure books like these are used to kill people. But I thought, well, is there anything I could do differently in this book? And so what I thought was instead of killing people, it paralyzed them. And, um, you know, from from basically from the neck down. And so people Ooh. could still breathe and and maybe maybe move a few fingers here and there but but basically otherwise they're paralyzed and I thought and that that started my mind thinking about well what would the villain do with that and and so you know again I don't want to give away what what the no. villain's goal is but but it it led to something that that I'd never seen in a book in an adventure book before about what the villain's main main goal was and so, so uh, you'll just have to read the book <laughs> well I'll tell you something I've read over I can't even tell you how many thousands of books I've reviewed since for the last 10 years and this is original I mean there are some that I read and I go like oh my god the same character just another plot help me and right. when I read this one I go like yeah well I could read 450 pages in two hours if I'm not bored and then there were several this week that were 100 pages that took me three days, and that's not good either. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I'm one of those people that my, I read five books a, 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 a week, a day, when I was a kid. So wow, I that's amazing. To this. So who is Eddie Sank? What is his role? And tell us about Sinduk. There's a lot of characters in this book. Yeah, yeah. In fact, at the beginning of the book, there's a cast of characters um, so that people will, if they need to, they can refer to it and keep track. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Eddie uh, Singh is uh, one of the crew of the Oregon. He's a former CIA agent. He's Chinese American, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, so I, I'll mention that this the dead villain in this is also a, a Chinese. He's a Chinese per, uh, national, and um, and that is figures into the story quite uh, importantly. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie is is Chinese American, as is Sylvia actually, um, and she's the half sister of one of the crew members of the organ, which I won't give away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, Eddie is in charge of the shore operations team that goes on these missions, and um, so he's the one who leads uh, Mac D and the others into battle when they go ashore. 
Um, mm. Sinduk is um, the head of the terrorist group that is um, towards the beginning of the book. He is, um, I, I believe, he's the one who's trying to um, assassinate the families of a couple of yep, uh, U.S. senators. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while since I uh, wrote the book, so I'm, I'm uh, trying to remember all the characters myself. Um, but uh, yeah, so the the other half of the mission, the terrorist organization's mm-hmm. mission, other than attacking the oil tanker, is to attack um, a couple of U.S. senators' families at a water park in Bali, Indonesia. Um, and so the Oregon's crew is there to try to stop the attack. And Eddie is the one in charge of the operation. Yeah. Now, what bothered me was, was strange is that all these people, the staff remained on the ship for so long. Don't they have families? They didn't want to go home? Well, they were so loyal to one that they wanted to get everything taken care of. That's an awful um, long time to stay on a boat without a family. Yeah, yeah. They some of them do have family at home, like Mac T has a daughter. Um, but you know, it's it's like um, you know, any military deployment, they, they go off for months at a time and then they when they have time off they go home and and see their families. But um but you know, basically in these mm. stories the, the their fellow crewmates are their families. And so one of the things that the corporation has done on the Oregon is make it a very pleasant place to live. So they have a, mm-hmm. a four-star, Mich- a three-star Michelin chef who makes all their meals, and their cabins are very luxurious to live in. And, and so it's a very nice place for them to be based. Um, and so it doesn't feel like a, you know, like they're, they're, uh, it's a chore to live on this ship. So that's one of the things that's the secret. On the outside, it looks all beat up and rusty. Um, mm-hmm. And then on the inside, they have plush carpeting and lovely lighting. It's like the interior of a cruise ship. Mm. And I so, get seasick. Uh, I could not deal with that. I couldn't deal <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah, so that's why a lot of the Especially the, the couple of last things that go like, people. oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us about <laughs> yeah. Julia and what happened to Sylvia. I like Sylvia. You have to bring her back. Yeah, well, I Julia like is their resident uh, surgeon on the ship, uh, and it has a very well-equipped medical bay. And so um, she is uh, in charge of the medical team for the Oregon mm. and patches them up whenever they have missions that go awry or where they rescue people um, who need medical attention. And so, so Julia has, has, I like Julia. She has a lot of work to do in this ship, uh, in this book. She, she's very busy. Okay. So the Australia Maritime Command responded to two distress calls from two ships, one American and one Australian. How did they handle it? And how would they handle the survivors? If there are any. Well, um, so so there was there's a real I, I actually included a real ship um, called the Ocean Protector that's on the yeah. Australian Defense Force, and it's basically like a Coast Guard ship for them that that uh, responds to distress calls at sea, and um, they're the first ones to arrive after this paralytic gas has been used on on an Australian ship. 
and so they uh, they have rescued the crew, and they're they're flying them by helicopter to a mm-hmm. hospital in Darwin, and that's that's when the Oregon starts getting involved. That's why I stay on land. No, really. So <laughs> yeah. what did what did Jin and Poke hope for when they realized the revenge of the magnitude of Lu of Lu Yang? What did they think? I mean, it's not going to stop them, but they didn't realize where, how far this was going to yeah, go. So, That's scary. So Liu Yang is kind of, he's the the dead Chinese national crazy. who's who set this in motion, and he has very big ambitions. Even though he he died, he he died of cancer mm-hmm. before he could carry out his own plans, and so that's why he had to recruit Jin and Polk to complete it for him. And um, he has decided that um, he doesn't want to tell them the plan, all of the plan up front. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he leaves them video recordings that they see as they carry out each step of the mission so that he tells them what the next thing they have to do. So it's kind of he's building up what what it's leading to and basically putting them in jeopardy as a, as at some point where they go, even if they wanted to get out of it, they couldn't because they would be implicated in, you know, uh, really awful mm-hmm. crimes. And so he's, he's kind of do, using the carrot and the stick where he's blackmailing them and then also offering them this huge amount of money if they'll um, complete the mission. That's scary. So why was the shepherd important, and how would it help to deliver this gas along with the delivery system? Well, I mean, we're getting dangerous. The, <laughs> the middle of the story, and so I don't, I don't yeah. know how much you want to give away. Um, no, I don't want to give story, away anything but... because there are people listening, and they're all listening online. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's okay. So, um, but I don't want to give away too much. So, how do how would yeah. they deliver this gas? How would people get it? Well, that's that's one of the fun parts of of reading the story. I think is finding out yeah. how this mission is going to be carried out. So yeah, we don't want to so tell I think, them. Um, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. I want to leave some of the fun to the readers and finding out what's that's going to okay. happen in the story. Yeah. Now, it must have been interesting to work with Clive because he had a sense of humor. I know that. And, oh, yeah, um, he was a really funny guy. He was interesting to meet. How did you and Clive create the voice box for Mac D? I mean, how was he able to communicate? That was amazing. Is that such a, did you do research? Is that Can people that are you know can't can speak and paralyzed, paralyzed, can they actually do that? With well, voice box? I, I, actually, that was based on what um, Stephen yeah. Hawking used to speak um he, yes, I'm saying, he was yeah. i think at the 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 at the full um extent of his als um he was only able mm-hmm. to move one or two fingers on one of his hands and that's what he used to communicate so when you heard stephen hawking speaking that was him typing with just a, a finger or two um typing out what he was saying and then there was a a computerized voice that spoke for him, and so that's what what is um, the kind of thing that's used in this book. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting. I'll tell you, There's a lot of lot of research in this thing too. So yeah. How valuable the fact that they had Sylvia did that help? 
Yeah, I mean, she's she's a critical part of the story. I've even had a few people wonder if she's going to continue on in the series after this. And yeah, uh, me too. You know, I'll leave that up to the next author. Um, I I don't know if you know, but uh, this Marauder I decided a while ago is going to be my last book in the series oh. because I wanted to go back and uh, write my own books again. And I had told Clive before we even wrote Final Option that that was my plan because I want to write mm-hmm. my own books again. And, and he was disappointed, of course, but he understood my my desire to to uh, get back to my solo career. And um, so after this book, I'm sure the Oregon Files will continue. It will just be with a, a different author. I hope I get your, your regular books. I'm going to be very upset if I yeah, don't Yeah, I hope them. so. I mean, I mean, that's how I got involved with Clive in the first place is um, mm-hmm. when he I, – I came in on the 10th book of the Oregon, and uh, mm-hmm. he uh, when he was looking for a new author, he read a few books of mine and loved them and uh, loved how I did my endings, and um, that's yeah. how he decided to, to bring me on. Um, and just called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, Boyd, uh, I, I uh, wanted to know if you wanted to write the organ files with me. And I said, that would be great. And he said, okay, well, uh, we'll fly you down here in a couple of weeks and get started. And that was the, the extent of the, my first, very first conversation with Clive. And sure enough, mm-hmm. two weeks later, I was sitting in his office, and we were brainstorming the ideas for my first collaboration with him, which was called Piranha. Mm-hmm. That that is so amazing, though. I mean, I was invited. Uh, I don't know if you met Larry Thompson before he died. Uh, no, I, I don't Larry. know that I did. Larry Larry was wrote um, Dark Money and he wrote White Witch. His books are fantastic, and he was one of my best friends from the Philippines. He invited me to start there. He's the reason I got there. Mm-hmm. And John Land because John Land loves me because I review all of his books, and I was really blessed to be invited. And it, it's it was such it's such an experience to 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 go there and meet all these wonderful people and get to read, read their books. I think the funniest thing that happened was one night somebody not, the guy uh a knocked on my door and just delivered a whole bunch and said if somebody oh, really? all these people want you to read them. I go like, do I really want to read them? Yeah, <laughs> I did. But yeah, and, yeah. It, it's a great it's a great experience and it must be great. And I don't know who's going to take on what you what you and Clive did. I guess he must have left some plots or something, or you have to think of it. But that's difficult. So who is Paul well, Parsons? How do you do that? Well, so the way Clive and I worked was um, I would fly down to his house. Uh, I live in Seattle, and he lived in Phoenix. And mm-hmm. uh, I would fly down there and, and stay at his house for a couple of days. Nice. And, um, yeah, we were, you know, he was very um, – you know, very humble and um, very, you know, he wanted this to be a fun experience. He was just a fun guy. That's, he just loved yeah, he was. having fun. And that's what his books should, were supposed to be, was a lot of fun. And um, that's why he collected cars and, you know, he loved wine mm-hmm. and cigars. And he just, and he loved finding ships in real life. I think he found 50 or 60 um, shipwrecks. Um, and um, so he just carried that on in his books as well. He just wanted to entertain people. He, he said that to me, and you know, many times over the years, is 
that his books were supposed to be entertaining and fun. And so I would fly down there and, and we would sit in his office for a couple of days and um, just brainstorm the main ideas for the book. So what's the villain after? What's the historical link? Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what are the exotic locations we're going to feature in the book? And maybe, maybe sketch out one or two of the big action scenes. And then that would pretty much be it. And I would fly back to Seattle, and then I would write 100 pages of the book and send them to him, and he would mm-hmm. revise it and send it back to me, and then we would just keep going like that until the book was done. So it wasn't like he gave me a plot to, to work mm-hmm. on. It was just we, we brainstormed it together, and then I, I did the first draft. That's interesting. I wonder who's going to do that now, though. They're pretty much left to the yeah, person they, to decide what I, the plot would be. That's hard. Yeah, it'll be up to the the Kessler estate now to decide who the next author is going to be, and I and I don't know who that will will be. Well, I know I have um, that when I read the Tom Clancy ones. There's a lot of people that did it, uh, Mark Reaney, Mark Cameron, and a few other people that that read that wrote the Tom, and yet they're all different. They're all different. Right, and I'm sure that that will be true for for the all the Kessler series as well. Although I know that yeah. my friends Graham Brown and um, Graham Brown and Robin Bursell will um, continue because they're already working on the next books. Oh, uh, no. Well, what did they... Uh, where am I here? Each scene is tension-filled, and Juan and his team make many dangerous chances in order to stop Jin and Polk. How did you do that? How did they manage to learn more about them, and what happens if they have to face off with them? So, in all of these books, you know, a lot of the the really hard part is coming up with the plot and making it all make sense because there's got to be, you know, reversals and twists and, um, you know, obstacles that they face. And so a lot of this, the, the story development is how, how do you do that so that it's not only mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's exciting, but also believable that this sequence of events would happen. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I spend a lot of time, thinking about, well, why would the different characters do what they're doing so that it would lead to the next step in the plot? And, and one of the fun things about it is thinking about how these two, these two sides, the villains and the, and the heroes, are you know, counteracting each move the other is doing. And so um, you know, that, that's what I spend a lot of time on in the story is, um, you know, Every, and what I want to do for Juan and his crew is every, every step forward they take, there's always going to be a, a step back because, you know, mm-hmm. every, everything, everything they accomplish leads to some other bad thing happening that the villains counteract their move with. And so, um, you know, that's, that's, that's the fun of all these stories is seeing how, how Juan is going to, to uh, adapt to what the villains are, are throwing at him. Well, before I forget, none other than Matt Coyle will be here on Monday at 10 oh, with yeah. Blind Vigil. Oh, let me tell you, that is the best one yet. And on the 30th, I have to do an interview over. I will briefly explain that real fast. Sage Webb will be here with the Venturi Effect. Um, I got a text message the day I interviewed her about somebody close to me that has the virus. And 
in the middle of the show, I said, I, I like reacted like, oh, my God, blah, 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 I have to get tested because I knew it was the other person. And we cracked, she cracked up laughing. We went and finished the interview, and I said, I think I better erase this one and do it over. So Sage is going to be here on the 30th. Yes, I did get tested eight times, and I'm negative, which is always fun. Never really. Um, on the 5th, I have a panel show. Dick Belsky, John Land, Vincent Zandri, and Charles Salzberg. We're going to talk about the publishing industry and what changes. On the 7th, this is a very odd taste title, uh, Jesus, the Rabbi of Nazareth. On the 11th, Connie DeMarco. On the 13th, the author of Blood Country. On the 14th, I, I have, um, the 20th, I'm sorry, I have James Scopando, believe it or not. On the 14th, uh, once again, my, my uh, internet went out on the last um, storm. So Dennis Palumbo will be here and talk about fear, isolation, depression, anxiety, and stress during the pandemic. And that should be interesting, and that's not even all of us coming up. And I am totally honored that on February 4th, Iris Johansson has agreed to do an hour. I am totally, totally excited. So the purpose of this mission and the goal was to take the weapon back, build the marauder, and divide the plan of his own, meaning Lang, to extend China beyond its borders without the party's knowledge. Why did he do that, and how would that help the people of China? So he's guy really was convoluted. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah, yeah, and this is also you know part of his the, the yeah. plan that I I want readers to you know find yeah. out in the story, which is um, you know why is Lou doing all of this? And I, I think I'll just say that he's a he's a fanatical Chinese um, nationalist who wants greater glory for China. And mm. so he has spent years developing this plan that will will make that happen. Uh, but what what happens before he can carry it out is he gets diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so he mm. realizes he's not going to live long enough to see this plan come to fruition. And so that's why he has to devise this alternate that is going to let it um, be carried out after he dies. Um, and so that's why he recruits uh, Jin and Polk to complete it. Um, but it has to be carried out at a specific, um, on a specific day uh, to make it work. Um, but, but basically it's going to allow China to expand its sphere of influence uh, in the world. And, and I'll leave it at that so that people can, They've been trying can find to do out that for a very long time. This yeah. is very true. So without giving it away, they devise a plan, Poke and Jin, to complete the first two parts of the mission. But if they fail, what would happen? And we're not going to tell them well, whether they do or not. Sometimes the villains actually in some of the books win and they come back again, and we don't want these two to come back. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, yeah, they, they have an incentive both to get the money but also not to go back to prison which they have vowed never to do. Um, and so if they, you know, if they get caught in this or they fail in the plan, um, that's what Lou is threatening is to send them back to prison um, by revealing their, their new crimes. And so, so they have a, a great incentive to, to complete the plan as devised. Um, let me think. My one and his team realized the magnitude of what would happen if this guest admitted a lot of people would have the same problem as somebody else. 
So how, how can they survive? What happens if they don't find a, an antidote for Mac or anybody else? What would happen then? And, they, and, they, and you right. have a time and, limit there, so that's even scarier. Right. So, so of course, there, there's an antidote to this chemical weapon, but it has to be used in a certain amount of time. Otherwise, the paralysis becomes permanent. And so that's kind of, you always want to have a time limit in the story to, to amp up the, the suspense. And so in this one, it's that um, they have to find this antidote before the paralysis becomes permanent with their, their crew member. Mm. And, um, and so that's why they're in a race against time to stop the bad guys and find the antidote. Now, in real life, would this be considered a biochemical warfare? Yeah. Or some other yeah, type? Yeah, what? That's considered what a chemical weapon like, um, that's what like BX gas or um, Novichok, which um, yeah. was actually uh, uh, it's a real poison used by the Russians to poison some of their distance. And um, that featured in a book that Clive and I did called Shadow Tyrants. Um, but that was, that was a minor part of that story. Um, but, but there are real, you know, nerve agents that are used as chemical weapons. And um, most of them have been destroyed by countries around the world, thank goodness. But, um, but there are still countries that are, are developing them and even using them like Syria has used chemical weapons against its own population. So, um, so yeah, it's a scary possibility that, that weapons like these could, could exist. So the last scenes in the final chapters, are, I could picture it. I could feel the tension and the locations vary. How did you decide where to end this one, where it took place? And how did you choose the scenes on the Oregon well, um, I, I won't reveal where it takes place, but, but I have been there, and I thought it would just make a great location and a great, great uh, time uh, for, for the finale. Um, and, you know, with the Oregon, you always, I always spend a lot of time um, coming up with why the Oregon was mm-hmm. even involved in the story and, and what its role would be, because the Oregon really is another character in the series. And so, you know, one of the, one of the fun things in creating this new Oregon was what is it, what does it have that's unique that would play a role in the story? And so it has some new weaponry that I'll let readers find out when they read the book. Um, that plays a critical role, especially in the in the climax of the story. Um, that if any you know any other ship probably wouldn't have been able to um, to finish the mission, and so that's why you know the Oregon Files is so fun because you know it ha- it it's this this super high tech spy ship that that nobody thinks is because it looks like a regular old cargo ship. And, um, you know, so that's, that's part of its, its superpower is, is being unnoticed wherever it is. And so, um, you know, that's why it's able to, to accomplish its mission a lot of times. So how did you and Clive create the final scenes that deal with the Centaurus and the other ships? And how come they change their names? That's really nice. And they were racing for time. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's one of the things. 
that the Oregon does a lot in these stories is is change its own name um, so that it will be disguised and people won't know it's the same ship going from one port to another. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, maybe the, the villain ship could do the same thing. Um, but unfortunately, Clive died in February, and so yeah. – he 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 was he was only alive for the first um, hundred pages or so of the book, so he really only got to review the first third of the mm. story, and then I had to complete the book without him, unfortunately. Um, so that's you know that's all me uh, towards for writing the end of the book, um, for better or for worse, and um, so you know it was it was very bittersweet. It. Well, great. I, I'm glad. I'm, I, you know, and I really wanted to live up to the the um, the outline that Clive and I um, that Clive mm-hmm. agreed to before he died. Um, so he knew basically what was going to happen at the end of the story, but it, but I still had to write it. And um, you know, I I think he would have been really happy with the story. I I he was alive long enough to. Um, see the design of the new Oregon, and he loved it. And in fact, his very last email to me was when I had sent him an email that I had drawn a, a picture of what I envisioned the new Oregon to look like with all the, the gadgets and features and weapons. And his last email to me said, it's a masterpiece, go forward and make Marauder uh, a, a winner. And so that was the very last email he sent me, and and I I was very honored that that uh, that he enjoyed my work on that. And so, so I, I, really I enjoyed wanted the to... ending too. But you know what? Yeah, I hope I... the next author continues with what you did. It makes it really hard when somebody else takes it and changes the the you know parent the the picture changes what what the you know what the author, what you decided as a matter of fact it would be really sad if you changed what the boat look the ship looks like inside it's sort of like you know oh my god i read that before now wait a minute where did that come from and if right. he comes up well, with a whole bunch know. of new characters i might say to him are you serious yeah. that bothers me well you know that's that's all up to them um i'm you know i'm i'm hoping that what I've done is um, in creating the new Oregon, I've, I've put together some pieces that are, are, are form a basis for the new Oregon, but I've left it also open so that whatever author who comes after me can add their own. I hope they pick somebody it. good. You know, me. I, I hope so too. I, I truly hope they pick somebody that, you know, can follow in your footsteps because I'll probably get it from whoever gets, whoever sends it. But you know, I don't want to. Be, I don't write. I never write negative reviews, ever. And if I don't think a book is worth at least four and a half, five stars, to be honest, I just put it aside and I won't review it. Or I'll write a summary. Because you know, if I don't like something or just disagree with something, somebody else might like it. And since I've gotten yeah, you know yeah, mixed reviews on my own books, um, there's one one reviewer that always says when she reviews my books, they're really good, but I don't understand them. But you're a librarian. Mm-hmm. How could you not understand them? I write from the point of view of the dead person behind the gravestone that deserves to be there and is telling their story mm-hmm. while they're dead. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's it's just yeah. I it's think just what's different. great about I, yeah. I think what's great about book is every books. Everybody has their own things they like. Yeah. And, and I think you know I think you're right to just just focus on what you like because. You yeah. know, why not encourage people to read? 
and um, you know, and and discouraging people from reading a story you might not like, even though they might like it. I don't think that that helps any anything. So you know, I'm I'm the same way. You know, I'm I'm trying to keep positive and and um, you know, recommend things I like and and hope people find them. Yeah, I do. Also, I also in um, just just November and December because I'm just reviews. They think I'm just like Kirkus. It's so cool. Um, I get to give rewards mm-hmm. and reviews and uh, to all the authors that I feel deserve them. It's fun to do something like that. Yeah, yeah that's good. Is, I, I, mean, I like to do anything that encourages, encourages writers because, you know, it's, it, this is a hard business. And, we, and uh, you know, I want, I want to see my, my friends and, and people I think are very good succeed. Well, since you said that, uh, this is it for one for you. So I can't ask the next question. So what is next for you? That's not one in your own book. So I get to know what I'm going to get because I'm going to get it. Trust me. I hope. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have just actually finished a book um, and it's a little bit of a departure for me. It's, it's an adventure thriller that takes place in the middle ages. Um, my, and, and it's a book I wrote with my sister. She is the head curator of medieval manuscripts at the Getty Museum in Los Angeles. Oh, and nice. She's also, she's also somebody who's edited all of my books. And so she's, she's a big thriller reader herself. And so we developed this idea for, um, a night in the, in the 14th century, right after the worst of the Black Death. And um, it's it's an adventure that that he goes on with with a noblewoman, and uh, we're we're really excited about it. And it's it like I said, it's different a little than than what I've done, but I think it has the same kind of uh, pacing and and level of action that you would find in my Oregon books, um, except instead of high tech ships it's you know knights on horses with sword fights and jousting and duels and mm. and um you know all all that kind of stuff so that's so different I'm, do you write I'm books really in the series uh well we're we're hoping that this is the first in the series but uh i also have my own series that i wrote mm-hmm. um before i started working with clive and that's called the tyler lock series and that's about a um a former army combat engineer who's now um, involved, get, now has his own company and um, starts getting involved in all these adventures involving ancient myths like Noah's Ark and um, the touch of King Midas turning everything to gold. And um, so he gets involved in, in adventures like that. And they're, they're obviously inspired by Clive's book. And, and I think of Tyler Locke is, is to engineers what N- Indiana Jones is to archaeologists. Yeah, I think he would too. But you do a lot of research. So how do you decide? One final question: How 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 do you decide what to write about? Your topic, your plot line. I've asked that of other other authors that you keep it interesting. That everybody wants to read your books because they're not the same, and you definitely don't write the things that are the same. They're all different. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what um, you know. Uh, all of us authors want to do is something that we've never seen before, something that we've never read, and what mm-hmm. we would read ourselves if if we were finding this book in in a store. And so, you know, there, there 
they're called novels for a reason. It's because we want something to be novel and new and, and different and something we haven't seen before. And that's, I think, what keeps it interesting for us as authors is, is we're, we're really creating something new that nobody has ever seen before with every book. And so that's what I always try to do is something new that I've never seen before with action, with the action or with the, like mm-hmm. Marauder with the plot of the villain. I've never seen that, that, um, that kind of plot before that the villain is trying to accomplish. And so, so that's what keeps it interesting for me as a writer is doing something that, that I've never seen before. And well, what so keeps I it interesting for me as, as a reviewer is that I didn't guess what happened at the end. A lot of times I read the book well, and I can good. tell you in the third cha- in the third chapter, I got this. Now, I read one, but I won't <laughs> tell you who read it, wrote it yesterday, a phenomenal uh, psychological mystery thriller based on mental illness or whatever. But to be very honest, I actually figured out who did it. And mm. I was like, oh, yeah, my God, I got, th- I got this one. I got two this week. But if you want to know what mm. to read, read Marauder. Pre-order The Perfect Daughter by Daniel Palmer. I'll scare the daylights out of you. Pre-order uh, The Dead Husband by Carter Wilson. I just handed in a review to Book Pleasures for that. And um, the publicist just sent back rebound. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But it's not coming out to me, but it's, it's fantastic. It's great. Uh, if you want to know what else to read, I, you see, I get them before they come out. This is so cool. The 20 uh, by James Grapando. And Blink of an Eye by Iris Johansson. And I am totally honored that on February 24th, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child are going to do an hour with me for the Scorpion's Tale. What more can I ask for? <laughs> I am really blessed. So, boy, I want to thank you. Where can we find out more about you and your work so that everybody can buy 90 copies of this book? And I have uh, one, of the, one of the girls in my medical office is waiting for me to bring this to her right after the show. Oh, great. Yeah, uh, you can find me at, at BoydMorrison.com, and that has, that's my website and has a list of all my books and links to where you can buy them. And I and want to also, thank you. And it also has uh, my Facebook and Twitter handles as well. I hope that when – is, when is the next book coming out? I want to make sure. Are you going to use Kristen for this as your publicist? She's terrific. Um. It, well, it's a, the book is not uh, sold to a publisher yet, so it depends who who buys it. Um, I would be, I would love Kristen's great, so I would love her to handle it if, if that's well, who it goes with. I hope the publicist finds me, please, because I'll be very disappointed if they don't. And you have one of the best <laughs> public. Kristen is great. She handled everything, yes. and of course, when she sent the book, and then I said to her, "I got it." She said, "Oh, good." I go, "I love when people do that. It's so much fun." But anyway, boy, thank you so very much. Everybody, uh, what I say at the end of every show is, and I saw this on the highway, and I sort of adopted it in my own way, one small ask, everyone, I'll protect you, you protect me, please don't go outside without wearing a mask. I know it's annoying, and it, it drives me crazy, but I'd rather be alive and not have COVID ever. There are too many people recently that I've lost to this horrible disease. And too many people close to me that have had it. So please, one small ask. Everybody, when you go outside, wear a mask and be smart, social distance, and be careful in crowds. Thank you so much, Boyd. I appreciate this so much. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day, and bye.